when you try to take action to try to enforce change against a system that is having their knee on your neck, you understand that that could literally mean costing your life. If you believe we can change the narrative, if you believe we can change our communities, if you believe we can change the outcomes, then we can change the world. I'm Rob Richardson. Welcome to Disruption Now. Welcome to Disruption Now. I'm your host and moderator, Rob Richardson. With me on the show is Mark Fye, who is a serial entrepreneur and artist, and I'm honored to have him on. He's been on before. Uh, so if you go back to the old episodes, uh, Charles, Charles Fye, Charles Fye Smart, I think we call it the episode, uh, you'll see that we have an in-depth interview with him. But you know, now, now we want to talk about his new art piece and some of the things he's doing now uh, to discuss what a lot of people are discussing now, the George Floyd uh, uh, death, the protests and the sparks that happen after. And, uh, you know, we, I was really moved by his piece. Uh, you can check him out at Mark five creations. We'll put this all, we'll put this all in the, uh, in the notes so everybody can see it afterwards, but Mark, good to have you on. Hey, thanks a bunch, Rob. Really appreciate it. So it's yeah, good talking I, to you. Yeah. Always good, man. I want to actually just get to some of your piece and I'm going to share it with the audience here. Um, just share just a couple of minutes. You call it the conflicted coward. I want to talk to you about, you know, why you called it that, but let's listen to a little bit of it and see a little bit of it. And then uh, we'll talk about it on the other side. Okay. When I think about what needs to be done for that change, it makes me feel afraid because I feel like, man, if I start saying something or trying to be a force that's going to make a difference, how is that going to impact my life? <laughs> right. Um, but then I think about my daughter and I think to myself, 30 years ago, you know, the Rodney King beating in L.A. And there were riots all over the country. Everybody was up in evil about it, you know, because um, they saw it for the first time, right? It was videotaped. It was live. And everybody felt like they needed to do something. And I wanted to make sure that if my daughter saw me 30 years from now and she says to me, Mark, um, what did you do, or daddy, what did you do, um, you know, in, 19, in two, you know, 2020, when they had the riots, when they had the protests, when they were in the streets, you know, trying to effect change? Did you do anything? And I want to be able to say I, I did something. And I also don't want her to be in the streets 30 years from now protesting for the same things that we're talking about today. And that led me into a conversation with myself that I have to do something, even if it's just my voice. You know, I, I use the word coward, being a coward to one, a couple of my friends. And what they said to me was that, you know, well, you do, do what you can, you know, use what you have, you know. And so I have art and I use my art to help, you know, organizations all over the world to raise money for their causes. And I figured this is a this is a way for me to speak to the world. And also not just speak to it in a way that, you know, is artistic, but to actually put voice to it and to talk about it in a way where um, I'm putting myself out there and I'm no longer necessarily the coward because I know that there's probably so much more that I need to do in order to affect the change that I really, really want to see. But let me not just sit on my hands and do nothing. That took me to creating this piece that is behind me. When I watch the video and I listen to, you know, a grown man, um, you know, cry for his mom. Mama! Get up and get Mama. in the car right! Who's dead. You see the life literally leaving him. How the, you know, police officer is so nonchalant about it. He's not even resisting arrest right now. Even though there are people there recording, even though there are people there begging and pleading to save his life while he's pleading for his life. You know, if, you, if you're not moved by it, something is wrong. And just to see that happen. So I want to take a moment to talk about the piece that I created to kind of share what it is that I want to express, as well as share some of my viewpoints and my belief system around what I think we need to do collectively, not just for black people, but as human beings, because we're all humans. We all came from black. This is a way for me to express that. That was the first part of your 
five-part docuseries and you have two you have two episodes out right now correct uh, detailing your piece and you call it the conflicted coward walk us through why you called it that well when i watched that piece i had a lot of thoughts that you know went through my head and thinking about what i could do and i talk about that in the first episode and i felt like um i needed to do something but I also felt like if I do something, um, it could affect me. And I have things to think about, people to think about. And I know the implications of wanting to take action. So, you know, that was the very conflicted side of me in trying to figure out, okay, I want to do something, but how do I do something that's not going to affect me? And that's the cowardly part, right? Where um, I think we go through that emotional roller coaster of, okay, let me put myself out there and see what happens. And um, as you know, I only started to, you know, be public last year about my art and everything else. Right. So this is definitely a, a very, very, very far departure from how I normally operate. Yes. Um, and it's the, it's the struggle that every Black American person of color has to go through how how much can how much rage can they show? James Baldwin said it famously that you know to be black in America is to always be enraged. But being enraged is not a good is not a good strategy for growth. It's not a good strategy for uh, business partnerships. It's not a good strategy for life because obviously it's hard to go forward and con- continually continuously continuously be enraged. Right. However, when you see things like George Floyd, it 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 it, it makes one enraged. And this is this the truth is it happens a lot. So. You were conflicted because we had different conversations. If you remember the conversations we had in our in our original uh, podcast, we talked about the fact that, you know, black Americans sometimes because they experience so much racism, end up internalizing some of that. And it, it ends up with so much focus, it ends up hurting them Right. Uh, sometimes. However, sometimes things are unavoidable. And so talk about your ancestral connection. You, you being directly from Africa, all of us from Africa, I guess, in some ways. Right. But. And black Americans closer to, but how did that experience inform your perspective on art and really your perspective on how you may have seen race and if that changed any, given what happened with uh, George Floyd in the protest at this moment? Does my question, do my questions make sense? Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know if it's necessarily a change or a departure, but living, um, I grew up in Jamaica, as you know, <clears throat> yes. and came here. Um, but my father is from Sierra Leone and, you know, between 2009 and better part of the last 10 years, I've spent more time in Sierra Leone than I probably have spent here. And so reconnecting with that really has changed my perspective in a lot of ways. Um, just even before coming from Jamaica to America, but in Jamaica, we don't have the same, you know, issues around race, right? It's more around class. and the um when you come here it's put front and center especially you know as a black person it's put front and center and so that perspective um you have a different perspective about it because you have a very different feeling about it because it's like a learned behavior or learned it was i learned it after i lived 16 years somewhere else right yeah. so it wasn't like okay this is just the way things are and so that adjustment it shipped shifted my mind of course going to africa also impacted how i looked at just blacks and our place in the world and um just the natural pride that i think comes with just knowing that the next guy i have to deal with is going to deal with me or not on the merit of necessarily the color of my skin but you know whether i'm able to do something and of course there are also financial you know constructs but it's very different in the way that you feel about your identity as a person. It's not necessarily in question as much. Yeah, because you're around an environment where that's not the underlying issue, uh, as you said. And here we combine race and class as one thing. And, you know, not that you're, I mean, no one's better, like you said, because they have more money. But the fact is you have more opportunities and uh, if you have more resources, but the two are always tied in that, you know, there's this is how we assume black people are. and and, and it goes and it, and it leads to disconnections and, and, and consequences. So the, the more the Delta is from 
the reality of, of who you actually are and how you actually see yourself from how others actually see you leads to tragedies, leads to things like George Floyd's death. And that's a, I'm simplifying it, but I think some of that is the case. Talk about what you felt, though, at that moment. And you talked about why you called it the conflicted coward, because there's you take if you take a stance, even if you take the right stance, there's always a risk uh, to right. you personally. Uh, well, but talk about how you felt listening, watching at that moment. Uh, take yourself back to that moment about how you felt um, when you first saw the tape. So it was uh, it was disbelief. A lot of it was disbelief because um, <clears throat> it was disbelief. It was um, it was anger. It was. Um, and it's just sad. It was a very sad piece because you we watched that guy die, you know, and the the other officers that were there that just stood around and allowed it to happen. And the fact that you had people there that were taping and saying and pleading for the man's life. And it really just showed how much power they didn't have, right? Because they couldn't do anything. I mean, they had no the if they tried to do something they probably would have been george floyd number two right correct and so that's where the conflicted side comes in i think sometimes and that's wanting to take action when you try to take action to try to enforce change against a system that is having their knee on your neck you understand that that could literally mean costing your life if you're going to really have to try to do the things that push to get the kind of change that you want you may have to take a step that may potentially put you in a in a at risk yes which is why the conflicted coward another reason why it's like people are always conflicted i want to help but do i want to risk right you know we have we have have had conversations with my friends and we've talked about what would we have done had we been there watching that happen but you know every some people say i'd have stepped in and done something or got a gun but in the moment when there is, because I look at the police officers not as individuals as much as I look at the system that's empowered them to be able to behave in Correct. the way that they are. As you said, and, as you so correctly said, the fact they felt so comfortable being taped while right. a man pleads for his life. Right, life, right. Everybody acting around like there's, they're like they were just right. having right. drinks or something. And, they were, and the fact that they're so comfortable tells me that A, they do shit like this a lot. And right. B, they feel like they have enough power that if he dies, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter exactly, right? It, and that po- and that power being, you know, exercised in that manner with people who want to have, or those people that were shouting and pleading, right? It's it's an example of I think what we do all the time: plead, right? Yeah. <laughs> we, we have to take an action. I think that is more, uh, more. It might be more abrasive, and it does yeah. abrasive is not necessarily violent, right? But but it's more direct. You're not asking for you're not right, asking for permission, I'm not, right? I'm not asking for, for for permission at that point. Like someone needs, if you were in that situation, I was in that situation. I I'm thinking, how could I have helped to save that guy's life? Yeah. It doesn't matter like who he was, what I knew, and what he did. It doesn't matter if he did something. Just the fact that the system feels like they can have their knee on your neck. And everybody, and be blatant about it for everyone to see, for them to know that you're going to protest about it, and still, even when you're protesting, not change anything. And then the effects of what they are doing cause you to die, yeah. right? That is, that's how I look. So that's, that's what really drove me to create the painting, right? And gotcha. wanted to um, really get to the heart of that and the thing that really moved me because I watched it twice <laughs> I could only watch it the piece twice because I remember how I felt the first time it's hard man right? it's, it's, it's really hard, hard. Right? I right? think you, you it's two people that, that that have personified my belief my my feelings at the moment were you and Dave Chappelle and you know Dave Chappelle you both used your art in different ways and Dave Chappelle if you've seen, have you seen 846? Yeah, 846, yeah. I did. Yeah. I did take and, it out, and, yeah. and, and, and the fact that he, what he did is he told a story about how he, the moment he thought he was going to lose his life, and it was three seconds, 
Right. And this man for eight minutes and 46, and 46 seconds, seconds. He said, what are you trying think, to right, signify? Right, what do yeah. you say? And that's exactly what like, what the hell? What do you, right. you try to signify that? Clearly, you're trying to signify that our lives don't matter, that you have the ability to do this. And it doesn't matter what you do. Correct. Or what you say. And to your point, we have to decide we are conflicted. All of us. Everybody can say what they were going to do. I love when right. people tell me this is about black <laughs> and white people. I love when black people tell me that if I during slavery, there's no way I would have been a slave. I would have not, I would have not done any of that. I would have stood up. I would have fought. Maybe you would have, but let me tell you this. If you're, if you're, if your ancestor did that, you wouldn't be standing here. They're out the gene pool. Like, so like you can say what you want, but the instincts for survival sometimes take over uh, no no matter what you say on the other side. And I talk Mm -hmm. about white people. And I think this applies to what we're talking about now. White people at any point in order to make a difference, they have to decide there is a risk in taking and, and, and giving up your privilege. Because you are then, if you're willing to challenge the system that is in support of you, then your inner circles are not going to be happy with you, which, no. means, you, which means you're going to lose something. They're going right. to see you as a whatever. They're going to see you as a traitor or whatever, and they're not going to like you. And you may lose economic status, social status. That applies now. It certainly applied during slavery. So people can talk right. about what they would have done. My answer to people is what you would have done during slavery is what you're doing now. That's the answer. Correct. Correct. And I agree that with a hundred percent. And so going through it, I, you know, when I look at the protests in the streets, I think of them as please, right? The name of the painting is 46, please. And um, <laughs> when you read them, they're right behind me. That's the painting behind me. And when you read, when you read the, um, his words, right? It's, um, it's basically him just begging. Right. constantly begging for his life. And um, I, when I look at the protests, I kind of feel the same way about them, right? I, right. I think everyone already knows. I don't think he, we already know what it, it is, right? But I think another side of it is also, um, as you talked about privilege and, you know, white people needing to give up that privilege. I don't think that's the realistic expectation, all right? And it's a, it's a power dynamic. Right, privilege, if you will, is a power dynamic. It's like the privilege that you know the president has to clear the streets when he's driving down, you know, a highway. He's not right. going to give it up. He just—it's his privilege, right? He can do it, so he will. And and so I think that power dynamic has to be taken because yep. people don't willingly give. Oh, take go have power over my life. Just I know I had power over yours for all this time. But I know it's been really bad for you, so I feel bad now. So I'm going to go ahead and let you have power over mine. It, it doesn't happen like that. You have to take it, and it's by force. You know, I talk about in the other episodes, and I touch on the dynamics of the world and how our lines have been drawn in our planet, right? Right. When you look at the world from space, you don't see any lines. But every single line that you see on the maps that we've created were drawn with somebody else taking force to get those lines drawn. Right. They're all drawn in blood for the most part. All yep. those lines, right, are drawn in blood. And um, it's an unfortunate reality that we live in. And if we think that we want to create a country within somebody else's country and they're going to let us allow us to do it and say, oh, here's your country, it doesn't work like that. There's a power dynamic that comes into that that we, I think, as Black people have to understand and that action is required. And that action is just like when George Floyd's on the ground and knowing that you might have to take force against that police officer in some kind of way, influential kind of way, in order for him not to do what he's doing. And it can't be an after-the-fact thing where you do it after he's done what he wants to do. It has to be while it's happening, doing it, and not waiting for them to say, okay, we're not going to do that to you anymore. Yeah, That's I think not people, how the world works. I agree. Right. I think instinctively people thought that taping it would, be, would, would do that and stop that. Like, we have you on tape. Clearly, that hasn't worked. Like we got to say that that's not working. So there has <laughs> right. to be like we right we got right. we we we've seen tapings of execution. It's a numbing. It's it's a numbing as well. It's it literally is. a numbing. The more you see something, it's like oh another one. Yeah. Right. It's so, oh, and then the justification and- <laughs> short goes in the mind if you want to believe it is uh, he did something to provoke that something had Correct. to happen. Correct. Correct. And, and you and, question and, it. Yeah. And I think it was so this was so devastating for once that I I can say for the first time 
at least in my lifetime, I've had conversations with people outside of my race where they're like, I, I just had no ideas this bad. And I would say, well, we've been saying it for a while. But like, so, and people, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean, right. Yeah. So like, and people yeah. just thought like I, we were making this shit up. This is not like, it's none of it's made up. Like all of right. it is real. And I, I do agree with your point about power. Frederick Douglass said, you know, power concedes nothing without the man, never has, never will. Those right. who think so are fooling themselves. They want, you know, they want crops without the rain and the thunder. Right. I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what he said. That, so, right? yeah, I look at it as it does have to come by force. And that doesn't mean violence, but that does mean direct action. Just and that does correct. mean consistency, because what... Because what they're what they're hoping, and I say the power when I say they, the powers that be is that this is a spark in a moment. But you can have all the protests you want, but without any policy, it doesn't mean anything. Without any persistency, right. without any persistence, I should say the policies don't stay. Right. And without any power, which is collective organizing, economically, politically, and otherwise, mm-hmm. nothing's happening. And so, right. <laughs> yeah, I think that's important. Yeah. So, you know, as in the, in the other you know episodes, I also touch on something and and I'll the next episode actually talks about uh I give look at America like a house piece of land <clears throat> right and the dynamic of how when you have a piece of land that's yours and you build a house on it right and it, because you own the land or let's just say you don't own the land but you come and you take the land from whoever has the land so now it's yours ownership and then once you own that land you need to build on it and in building on it, you have a vision of what you want, but you don't have all the resources that you need or human resources that you need. So you go take other human resources and you build a house. The human resource that you go take to build a house on that land that's yours, is it their house? Um, I, I, I don't think so. I don't think it's their house. I think it's the house of the person who was willing to take the land, house of the, you know, that house belongs to the person who was willing to be resourceful enough to go build it. However, they did it. Unfortunately, slavery was one of the ways that America was built. But then when that's done and the house is built and you're a leftover consequence of that, you know, desire or greed or whatever you want to call it to have their house, you are kind of like a leftover, right? If you're on that land still. And as a leftover, and, you know, I, I don't want to be taken out of context and to, for me, to, people to say I'm looking at black people as leftover, because that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, in that dynamic, the house is built. They don't need you as much anymore. They may want you around to kind of maintain and keep things in order, but they're never going to give you the ownership. They might even allow you to live in a room in the house, but living in a room in that house may not necessarily give you the um, same privileges. You may not have the same accommodations within it because it's theirs. And because it belongs to them, they also created the systems. When they got the land, they decided how things were going to operate when the house was created, right? And so you're a worker. You just have to kind of do what they say. And so from that dynamic, I think, is where Blacks are. Well, I agree with that. But I will say, from if you look at being the worker, but organized workers are, that's how you take on organized capital. Harder to do. Because right. the, the people that uh, the people that own the facilities know how to take a few to divide against the many. Correct. But but if you can, this is how communities are organized. If you can organize yourself, that's how you get the power. I mean, because then, because at, at the end of the day, more people equals more power as long as the people are organized. And, and, I, think, I, and I do I think, think there's power, enough. I think I think power is is a strong word. I think what we get is influence. Influence is, I think, a dynamic within the whole power construct. Right? But don't power you think, is, but don't you think, just to ask you, like, I, I agree, but uh, when you, as far as the influence, that's almost, that's, that's most of the ballgame, right? Because if you're able to influence people with your art, with whatever you do, with influence comes money, with money, if you know how to use it right, with money mm-hmm. comes power. And then the ability to articulate your message, it becomes a powerful idea. I mean, the most powerful thing America has is this, is this, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident that it's a beacon of light. At the same time, it's that contrast with that. So if you can use the influence to say America's not doing this, that'd cost Americans money. And perhaps they want you to keep that house to keep themselves from looking bad from the rest of the neighborhood. So I do think art has that power. People have that power if they use it. 
but they usually don't because I think some people view themselves uh, they don't use their own power consistently or they give away their own power. Let me let me move to another question that okay. uh, I had about uh, this art and how and how this moment inspired you. Change might not be the right word, but further informed. Uh, I I know your daughter means a lot to you, and you've had mm-hmm. more intentional time with her uh, during this uh, during the COVID uh, during the COVID nineteen pandemic. Right. Talk about how this piece reflected your family's legacy and your daughter. Um. <laughs> um. So I'll tell you a quick story about legacy. So my father is um, is Puerto Leonian, as I said, and um, I was raised by my mom in Jamaica. And I connected with him maybe maybe once or twice in my childhood, right? It was in my adult years that I connected with him. And I never really understood legacy until I went to Africa um, and what it really meant. And so, um, you know, before he passed away, I took a trip to Sierra Leone in 2005 to visit him. And on that trip, um, he really gave me a rundown of who I was. And I had some idea, but not to the extent. So my great-great-grandfather is one of the 50 greatest men of Sierra Leone. It's like one of the national heroes in Sierra Leone. And so um, our history goes back. If you go to um, Google right now and type in Gumbu Smart, you'll see, um, you know, uh, excerpts from, you know, history books that talk about what he did. So my lineage comes from that, like a direct line through my father. And so understanding that and seeing what he did, you know, what my great, great grandfather did was he basically was able to trick the English to get his own slaves to start a rebellion, to create a town um, that uh, they couldn't control him anymore. Right. So that was, so that history is, is when you understand where you're that part of where you came from is one thing. And then even though I didn't have a relationship with my father, I was very close. Going back to Sierra Leone and connecting and seeing what he had done was, you know, had a pretty big impact on me. He was a politician. And so, um, and uh, in 2009, I had an opportunity to go there and start a business. And that is when I think it really hit home because I heard it before and understood it like theoretically from the stories that he told me and the things that he shared with me. But then going and starting the business there and then moving around and realizing the access that I had all the way up to the the highest office, right? Because of all the things that he had done and the fact that I could literally walk into an office and I've done it so many times where I say who I am and the person that I stand in there basically start telling me a one hour story about how my dad helped them and saved their kids and did a whole bunch of things for them and how they admired him. Wow. And so that changed my perspective about legacy and changed my perspective just about what you leave behind. And even though my father wasn't necessarily um, the father I probably wanted, you know, or needed in my life, but at the time, but what he left behind is still something that I was able to go and pick up on because he laid a you know a foundation and left a legacy behind that me his son could go back to so understanding that legacy and now you know of course having the last 10 years plus doing business there and wanting to really connect people back to africa because understanding how my ancestral you know ancestral background changed me and just changed my identity altogether just Knowing that in the blood of, within my blood, it's like saying that, you know, George Washington is my great great grandfather. You know, right, it's just, right. it's like that's a direct lineage, and that for that to be in your blood, you feel like uh, you kind of have, and then you see your dad do the same thing by experience, leave something in you that makes you feel like I need to do something as well. It may not necessarily be the same thing, but I definitely need to do something. And um, so having my daughter, when I watched the video um, and, you know, contemplating it, you know, we've been doing this in America for a long time. And, I, you know, my, my focus now is to go back to Africa, right? I believe that that is where Black people should go back to. That's our home. We need to go back and make our home, right? And build our own house, as I was saying to you earlier. Um, 
So that's what the key. I, that's I was going to ask you about what you meant by building the house and how do you see the solution and yeah. you're answering that. Go ahead. Yeah. So the my daughter, having my daughter and seeing her, I think about so many things in my life now just evolve. They say when you have a child, it changes you. And I really understand that because I think about so many things now from the perspective of how it'll impact her, you know, yes. not just, you know, how it's going to impact my life. And I remember and, you saying that you wanted to be, you wanted that that if she asked where you were and what you were doing at this moment, you wanted to be able to answer her in a way that made that, her proud. Correct. That I did something. And, but not only from that perspective, but she's going to be, you know, just like my dad didn't know what he left behind necessarily and how I would be able to go and, you know, leverage that. My daughter is going to, you know, be in a world after I'm gone. Um, hopefully it'll be a very, very long time from now, but, um, and I want to be able to do something that can make this world better for her and not just her world in this small way, but in a way that's material that really contribute, contributes to that change. And so the painting, a lot of that came, a lot, all of those emotions and those thoughts, you know, and the experience that I have and understanding where I came from and wanting to do something um, led and all got into this piece here and wanting to also communicate. Um, how can I put it? I also wanted to communicate what my vision or thought is that I believe would help us to get to where we need to be. Yeah. Makes right? sense. Um, so, you know, my daughter is basically, you know, a big part of the inspiration of why I did this piece. And I don't want her to live in a world, you know, 30 years from now where we're talking about this stuff. Yeah. And if we're, and if we are, we're, we're, we're talking about it in, a, we're talking about it in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Let's, let's hope because it's it, the, the conversation certainly hasn't changed much in, in my lifetime. Uh, I, I even think in some ways we've regressed since the, I won't, of course we're much better than we were in the fifties or sixties. I make some arguments about the eighties though. I think we've, we've kind of regressed in terms of some things and, um, and we need to, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to have the same exact conversation. I don't want our kids to be saying and having a podcast dealing with the same exact issue exactly. 30, no, 30 exactly. years from now. Let's exactly, let, exactly. Let us pray. Or, or at a minimum, there are more of us that are able to do more at that time. Right. Um, talk to me about some of the contrasts in your piece. I remember you have, I know you have one side that's white with black writing. Right. And I see one side that is uh, black, black, black background with the white writing. What's the, what's the, what's the thought process behind that? If there was any, I'm sure, I'm sure it was intentional. Yeah. So that's really the polarity, right? That's, uh, it, it kind of talks to the dynamics of what we're talking about now. It's black and white in America, right? And that's really what it's, it's, uh, it's black and white what we're talking about from this, uh, general perspective you know yeah. and then um it's also black and white because it's black people and white people yeah but those two ends um black and white are two opposite ends of the spectrum right so if you look at the spectrum there's everything that comes in between that so the background is really something that was used to kind of talk not kind of but was used to talk to everyone and um to communicate it and the background also there's something that's written on it and it's a black on black and white on white. So on the black side, it says, um, we're all humans. And the white side, it says black lives matter, right? So that was done to basically kind of talk to the different people. So on the white right? side, it says black lives matter. Matter, right. Because on the, on the, on, that's on the white side, because the black side understands black lives are supposed right. to matter. You're, you're right. making you're making a statement on the white side that this is why we say this and we just want to treat as humans. And who we're talking to. So that white side, you know, we're not talking to black people. I don't need to say, yeah. you know. <laughs> Which is interesting. Like people think like, yeah, I never understood the confusion with Black Lives Matter. Like we're not saying that that's the only lives that matter. We want you to understand that our lives matter. That's it. Right. <laughs> it's not a complicated right. statement. Like, yes. Right. So I, I, so that's a part of the, the whole conflicted part with me as well. When I when I hear the word when I hear Black Lives Matter, it makes me feel like, and I talk about this in uh, I think it's the second episode. <laughs> it makes me feel powerless. Hmm. T tell me more. Tell me more. Mm -hmm. Why does why does saying Black Lives Matter make you feel powerless? Uh, because it's I'm not talking to Black people. 
Hmm. You're right. Interesting. So I'm not telling a black person that black lives matter. Like you're saying, please acknowledge that our lives matter. Please acknowledge, please yeah, accept us. Right. I don't, I'm, I, right. And I don't, if I'm, if I'm asking someone else to acknowledge me, which I'm is fascinating, some, which right? is fascinating because you're right. I mean, I see, I, I never thought about it from that perspective, but I understand it. I can see it. Right. And the interesting part is that many white people have the exact opposite. They think that you're trying to, Sell them that you hate white lives or something like. How did you get right. like? How do you get right? Right. <laughs> <How did> you, <laughs> exactly. I'm serious, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a very different. Yeah, but the per, the the reason I put Black Lives Matter on the white side is because we're telling white people that you know Black Lives Matter, and it's talking to them. The message, the movement, is talking to them. And but. I put it on the white side, on the white, and I didn't want it to be prominent because inside of me, I know that's the movement and I know there's more to the movement than just the words. There's like all the action that comes behind it, but it's what everyone is behind at the moment. But inside of me, it makes me feel like I'm asking somebody else to acknowledge me. It makes me yeah. feel like I'm asking someone else to, um, to matter, right? I don't, if I have power, I don't need to tell you I have power. I can just show you, right? Yeah. I don't need to go say Black Lives Matter. I need you to come and try to show me that my life doesn't matter. And I'll show you that, hey, my life does matter. That's and a hell of a way I don't of looking at it. To, right? I don't, I don't need your permission to put to provide, right? And if I feel like you're doing something that makes me feel like my life is in jeopardy, I can do something and will do something about it because... I don't want to feel that way. Yeah. And I don't need you to be the one to give me what I need to make me feel like my life matters. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting point right. of view. Looking at it that way, like we don't, why are we waiting for somebody to acknowledge that, that our lives matter? We know that it does. We got to make sure that they understand that through whatever means, through policy, Correct. through action. I, mean, right. I, think it's, I think that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. And that's a power dynamic. It's the, it's, that is the power dynamic that, and that's why I say that, you know, I feel to a large degree that it's another plea. Yeah. It's just and, one more plea. And I see you have on the other side that you have a, a heart and that's your optimistic, <laughs> that's your optimistic side. You got yeah. your cynical side. You use all types of contrasts here and that's yeah. your optimistic side. Yeah. Yeah. So conflicted is, you know, conflicted is that battle, right? Between two, you know, polarizing ideas. Yep. I, I have one final question as we get ready to wrap up and, um, the connection to Africa mm -hmm. and your connection, obviously being, let's say all black Americans are from Africa one way or another. And you want to make a really good argument. Everybody's from Africa one, one way or another, but. And that's exactly, not to cut yeah. you off, but Go that's ahead. exactly what the other side says. Right. So the painting is made to read on one side, black lives matter. And on the other side, we're all human, but also made the painting so you could read it all the way across. So from the black going into the white. So if you read the top line, it says, um, we are black, we are black, right? Yep. And then in the middle, it says all lives. And the bottom, it says, you know, humans matter. And at the end of the day, we are all black. We all came yep. from the cradle of humanity, which is Africa. I don't care whether you're black, white, Chinese, or anything else, you came from Africa. So uh, I can't so, remember if it's Toni Morrison that said this, but whiteness is understood in context of blackness. That's why I was. That's why that term was literally created. Both right. the terms were created. That, that's why they were created. Yep. Right. Yeah. And every everything comes out of black. Even the very universe, creation of the whole universe, came out of nothing. Came out yep. of blackness. Right. So the you know so that elevated higher consciousness is what that other side is really about. Right. Yeah. And wanting to project love and love is not necessarily that fuzzy love where it's like feel good but it's love it's love for self it's love for humanity you know and elevated consciousness where we are no longer looking at each other and seeing just the color of our skin anymore which is that place i, I believe the place that we need to be working towards. well that's exactly where dr martin luther king was and uh, lots of people conservatives and corporate folks like to quote only the stuff that aligns with what they believe. But when he talked mm -hmm. about love, 
He said, basically, we're not looking at, you know, peace isn't the absence of tension. It's the presence of justice. We're not talking right. about, I'm not talking about loving people, right. love and just be all lovey-dovey. And he, and he also mentioned, which is to your point, he said, uh, and I might get the quote wrong. He said, you know, power without love is reckless and abusive, but love without power is just sentimental and anemic. You can do nothing with mm. it. So you need both. You need love wow. right. and you need power together. Yeah. Correct. As and one. it's demonstration. You have to demonstrate love. You know, I, I think that um, you have to take, <laughs> there's action that's required. Love is, yep. a, is a verb, right? And um, so you have- Because once you acknowledge something, action. if you acknowledge Black lives are supposed to matter and they're not, what are you willing to do? To do. What are you willing to give up? Correct. What are you willing to sacrifice? Right. What are you? How right. are you willing to put yourself out to change okay, the right. position? Otherwise, Correct. you're not showing love. I, I get exactly. It. It's action. Yes. Yeah, it's action. It's an action yeah. word. Mm -hmm. So, last part I want to talk about is is really Africa a little bit more, and we 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 mentioned the fact that many Black Americans like to separate Africans who come here. <laughs> as, if, as if we, as if there's, you know, we got to separate Black Americans. We got to hold on to the right. Black part of our experience as the culture and make right. that completely separate from the African. You believe that's a mistake? I believe. You tell me why. That's my first question. My second okay. question, I'm gonna challenge you on, is that I do think the reverse is true. These are all uh, obviously general, uh, complete generalizations, but I think they have mm -hmm. some basis in fact that many Africans who come mm -hmm. here want to disassociate from being black because they see it as powerless and mm -hmm. they, and they, and they, and they would, they don't want to be associated with that. You can agree or disagree with either one of those statements. So uh, I, but I'll, like, I'll we'll touch take on those. both of them. So Please touch on both. <laughs> yeah. So... It's disruption now, baby. We got to be a little, we got to keep things <laughs> no, going. That, no, I, I, I get it. So <clears throat> a lot of the conversations I have with black Americans is, um, I think because of colonialism and slavery and what's been indoctrinated within Blacks in America, their identities have been taken away, right? So they took your tongue, they took your language when you got here. They took your name, right, when you got here and they gave you their own. And they took your culture and they gave you a culture that they were comfortable with you associating yourself with, right? So whatever you have now in this society, that is black is not necessarily a result of what you may have chosen. It's what you've been allowed to have, right? To be this um, group of people. So they took your names and you took your dance and they took your, all these different dynamics of your identity and even took your pride, right? Um, and the way they broke you down, they gave you their religion and took your yours away. So you're not left with anything that's really truly yours anymore. It's all that, the things that have been given to you that now and given to you in a way where it's not to completely empower you, but it's to keep you in a subservient manner. So psychologically, that is what it means when you talk about being black American. And if you just associate yourself with being an American and a black person in America without realizing that you came from something else where you had an identity, you had a name that was truly yours, you had a culture that was truly yours, you had a self-awareness and consciousness that was truly yours, not one that was created for you, you have a very different perspective. And I say that if you start off as a Black American, then you start off as a slave, and your history starts off as a slave. And you basically are cutting yourself off. Right. And our history was your, so much richer than that. And your exactly our history. Yeah, because so we didn't, it, didn't, it, it didn't begin. It's not going to end with slavery. We Correct. Were, we were we were slave. We were enslaved people. We weren't slaves. That's right. not our total history. Correct. Right. And so exactly. And so from that perspective, when I think about black Americans and I talk to them a lot, you know, and it's not this is not a generalization for everyone, but right, but I do think that there is a pretty large group of Black Americans that don't connect with Africa and don't realize that they are African. And they look at Africa from the perspective of how it's been painted to them, right? So as primitive and, you know, um, people living in huts and, So what would surprise them about the Africa you know versus the Africa that, obviously Africa is a continent, not a country, but, right. so we say Correct. that, but like in, quarter, in, in terms of the 
countries you've been in in Africa, mm-hmm. what do you think would surprise people based upon your experience? I think one of the things that um, is the the confidence, and you see this is like across the board, the confidence in self, right? Um, there's no insecurity in who you are as a black person in Africa, just generally speaking. Because one of the things is, you know, you're not conscious about your skin when you don't have other people around you that are different. Right. Right. So, you you know, you talk to the average black person that grew up in Africa or any most African, the black African countries, predominantly black African countries, you find that they don't necessarily look at themselves and think, oh, I'm a black person. It's not until they come here, which goes to your question earlier, that they realize that there's, they know that there's a difference because now they may not even necessarily look at white people in a negative way until they come and they associate how it's being, they're being treated. With like your friend, you had something with your piece with your friend who came here, who's, correct. I forgot where he's from. He's from Jamaica or some Caribbean? From Sierra Leone. Sierra Leone. He's from Sierra, Sierra Leone. Leone. And he didn't really, he had that same attitude you discussed with not really differentiating black and white, doesn't really right. care, had his well, own I sense think of con- he, And then he comes here and he had a very different perspective, right? Right. So I think you hear about it. And um, when you hear about something, your experience is two different things, right? I right. mean, you, <laughs> um, so you might have re- read about it and heard about what it's like here, but for him, it's been a wake up. I remember, <laughs> so lucky guy wins the lottery, the visa lottery to come here. Friend asking, you know, can I help him to get on his feet here? So when he comes, we sit down and we start having some conversations. And I remember I've never had to have this conversation with someone before. And I had yeah. to talk to him about what it's like interacting with the police in America. And I remember yeah. having that conversation the first week. And I was thinking to myself, oh, and it dawned on me that I was having the conversation with him because I've never had to have it with someone else before. Right. But I had to educate him about how to operate yourself when you're pulled over, when you're dealing with the police, what to do, what not to do, what's acceptable, put your hands on the wheel, make sure that you don't you know, fidgety, you know, these are your rights. Like having to explain those things because I, I knew that where he came from, even the thought of that, the police officer that's pulling you over and doing whatever he wants to do with you is black. And he's definitely not looking to kill you. <laughs> right, right. Right, so it's a whole nother power dynamic. And so, um, Months later, when the whole George Floyd situation happened, it was like he felt that fear building up inside him because before he wasn't, he wasn't conscious about driving down the street and somebody pulled him over. He's like, ah, I'm driving down the street, somebody pulls me over, no big deal. But now he's thinking, oh my God, being pulled over could literally mean me being dead. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Right. And so, um, that, that's, but that is the, so when you're there, you connect with your culture in a different way. And you feel very differently about yourself because you're around black people all the time. You're not thinking about the whole racial thing. You're thinking about how much money I can get. Right, <laughs> you know, right, what can right. I do to get ahead? You know, like that's what you're thinking. You're dealing with more like survival on more primal level than it is on the psychological, you know, um, differences that we create like race to yeah. divide ourselves. So, and back to the uh, back to the African question on the other side of it, and I guess you kind of did answer that that the fact that they're that they're dealing with it, and they have a different just view. So they come and just they come here and just have a different view, and are quickly have to um, accommodate the view. I guess so. I, I think the lesson in this is that uh, we're all African, black, whatever, whatever you want to call it. We have a common experience together, mm-hmm. um, and we need to focus on how we can how we can have collective impact, use our power to change the dynamic, to change the construct, and 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 not ask permission, but to simply start doing it and and moving forward with it. Yeah, here's a disruptor for you, Rob. Um, and I talk about this in 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 the docu series. Um, you know, you have MAGA. Right. Yes. Yes. You know, make America great again. <clears throat> so I saw this hat, and um, I've basically stolen their phrase, and I'm basically just going to be saying it as much as I can to everyone. We need to make Africa home again. Hmm. That's good. Okay. And I believe that we need to go back to our roots 
go back and really find ourselves again. I think a lot of the destructive you know, components of our community is as a result of the identity that we were forced to take on because of slavery, which has been passed down to us in our, you know, as, uh, from our ancestors. Not good, not bad, it's just what it is, right? It, 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 but it's a very destructive, our communities are very destructive towards each other, I think. Yeah. And so um, I believe that elevated consciousness that I talk about is a part of what we need. And I think when you get to that, you realize that I am not the identity that was given to me collectively as black people by these people that came and colonized and enslaved us. We are these blacks that we need to go find ourselves again, go figure out who we are again, collectively as a people. And to leave this place that we were brought to create somebody else's house, that was their vision of what they wanted with their system. And we need to go back and use just like the people that came over on the Mayflower to, you know, leave their oppressed Europe to come here and leave all the comforts and the advances and technology and all the things that they left. But they come with the knowledge and the resources and the know-how to build a new world, right? Absent of the things that they didn't want in the world that they left. And I think right now we are in, we have, we are charged enough right and we are able to communicate with each other enough and organize enough and come together enough to be able to start planting seeds that put us back in our home and connect us in a place where we are building our own house we're setting the rules we're laying the foundation we're the ones that are defining how it goes because we're in a house right now where if we want to change the colors of the walls you got to go ask somebody else and that person not okay with us changing the colors of the walls, you got to just live with it. Where we need to be able to build a house and lay the foundation, and it's hard. You know, when you start, when America was started, America is, I think, it's probably the most amazing experiment ever taken on by humanity. For some people to come up with an idea of creating something that was completely different from anything else that ever existed in the world, and for us to be here today as the most powerful nation in the world, is just an amazing feat, regardless of all the things that they did to do it. But I think that when they started, they, don't, they may not have known exactly how it was going to turn out, but they had a vision and they were willing to take the risk. They're willing to step out and leave the comforts of Europe, right? And go build something that was truly theirs. And in building something that's truly yours, you're able to self-determine. And I think all of these protests and all the things that we're trying to fight for and, you know, plea for constantly are not, it's to basically try to change the color of the, the wall, right? Where what we should be doing is building our own house. And it doesn't happen overnight, right? Yeah. But I think yep. if we never start, we never get there. Yeah. Mark Five, Mark Five Creations. I appreciate you, brother. Um, we, we're going to have you on again, I'm sure, at some other point. And I'm sure you'll be at the Disruption Now Summit. Definitely want you there. And uh, it's great talk as always. <laughs>